Hello, welcome to all our listeners to Church Matters, and hello, Janet, it's great to see you again. Hi, Dan, it's good to be here. Today, we're going to continue with part two of our conversation about peace building in southern Philippines with Mennonite Church Canada worker Daniel Pantoja. Does that sound okay to you? Sounds great. Let's get right to it. Not so fast there, Jacques Villeneuve. It's not a Formula One race, you know. We're going to give our listeners a scripture text to ponder first, right? Sure. Let's continue with the text from our last episode, this time Romans 12, 19 to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Welcome back to Church Matters for part two of this two-part episode on how the church is working for peace in the conflicted region of southern Philippines. Last episode, we talked with Daniel Pantoja, Mennonite Church Canada peace worker in Mindanao, Philippines, and we heard about conflict and building bridges of peace in conflicted zones in Mindanao, and especially between the Christian majority and the Muslims. Daniel talked a lot about sitting and listening and being together in building relationships. So, Dan, we should have a cup of coffee together and build a relationship here. That's great. I'm sipping on some uh, wonderful hot coffee for peace, Daniel. You should try civet coffee. Civet coffee. I'd love to try that sometime. This stuff is really yummy. Can you tell us what coffee for peace has to do with ministry in Mindanao, Philippines? It started because of our desperate search for alternative in terms of peace dialogues between two conflicting parties. When everybody was saying, Dan, what you're telling us has been tried and uh, it didn't work. And so out of desperation, Joji and I said, can we just have coffee? Finally, they started talking and they started articulating their own solution, their own transformation of their own conflict. And they always refer to our coffee time as coffee for peace. My wife, Joji, being an entrepreneur, went back to the city, our base, and registered that to the Securities and Exchange Commission as a business, Coffee for Peace Incorporated. And then we established a little coffee corner in our peace center in Davao City, Philippines. What happened was that NGO and expat missionaries started coming and say, we like your coffee. And so we developed good coffee menu. We started developing uh, different latte, cappuccino, and all those kind of things. Then we hired a Muslim uh, barista. We trained him, and then he... Yes. You know what is a barista for our listeners? Barista is somebody who designs coffee drinks. You know, the one who... Uh, creates them. Creates them, yes. And so he joined a competition among coffee designers and creators, and he became the number one barista in the whole of Mindanao. And so he became our number, number one marketing uh, image. Everybody wanted to go to our four-table coffee shop 
So we started looking for coffee supply. We went to Mount Matutum in southern Mindanao and met the Blaan tribe who were planting uh, Arabica coffee for the coffee for the past 20 years. And we told them we would like to buy your coffee at fair trade price. And that's how it started. Coffee for Peace is a fair trading company in the coffee industry. Now, does fair trade for them mean better prices than they're able to get on the local market? Actually, double the price. Tell us a little more about how the Ministry of Peacebuilding is extending to tribes that are supplying and growing coffee and how that is involved in a holistic gospel witness. You see, the tribal people were very quiet in their own land. And in Mindanao, the tribal people, the indigenous peoples, were caught in the crossfire between the Christian and the Muslim armed conflicts. And so they kept on going up and up into the mountains, and it was hard to find agricultural lands when you're on the tip of the mountains, right? But Arabica coffee grows there. And so we're buying this Arabica coffee at fair trade price, and we bring them on the low land in our coffee shop in the city. And because of this, the, the aspects of the economic and ecological aspects of shalom, of peace building, is being realized, being materialized among the indigenous peoples of Mindanao, and even in the north, in the Philippines. So this is shalom. This is peace building. I wish this was in our plans, but I think this is one of those waves. I mentioned about God making waves last episode. And this is one of those waves that God sent, and we just surfed in it. Now, I understand in your coffee shop, which I had the privilege of visiting once, that you require certain kinds of training for all your staff no matter if it's a financial investor or if it's uh, a server or the cleaners on the weekends. What kind of training is that? Yes, we require all of those who would get involved in Coffee for Peace, whether you're an investor or a staff or a volunteer, to go through our Peace and Reconciliation Seminar. It's learning about biblical peace building, who Jesus is as the Prince of Peace, and also conflict transformation skills, conflict resolution skills, all these skills. You know, conflict mapping, they have to learn all these things. And some of the business people say, but we just want to invest. Yes, but there's so much conflict in investments and in business. You've got to learn this. You know what? They have been enjoying it so far. How many growers do you have supplying coffee for peace? We have about 450 families, farming families, in 17 uh, tribal groups from the north to the south of the Philippines in the past two and a half years. Now, what has this meant uh, for their welfare as well as for their relationships with you and others? Okay, uh, economic welfare. Um, the city uh, minimum wage of the common Filipino is up to 250 pesos. That's about $7. 
Canadian. Per per person. Per per day. And you know, we're paying more than that. A family in the Blaan tribe, for example, um, makes four uh, hundred pesos a day. So we pay more. That translates into better living standard. They were eating two meals a day before. Now they can eat three meals a day. And what about your relationship with them and their relationships with others? This fair trade coffee for peace relationship done anything there? Oh yes. The first thing is that there has been an intertribal community. The community between tribes is becoming solid. It's becoming more real rather than just political or manipulated by the government or the rebels. Now they are coming among themselves to to have real relationship for welfare, for business, for family or intertribal relationships. But there's also negative aspect in this relationship. They are now questioning the unjust relationship between them and the uh, buyers of coffee that used to exploit them because of low price per kilogram. So now those unjust buyers of coffee, unjust coffee traders are angry. So we're dealing with all these kinds of relational dynamics. But that's justice. That's part of justice and that's part of peace building. What do they understand of your motivation for being there and for helping? Yeah, at first they thought I was government sent. Others think we're, oh, maybe you're communist. You're doing fair trade and all these things. Then the more they listen to us, oh, it's Jesus? Yes, especially every time we are asked, what do you mean by peace in Jesus? We say harmony with God, harmony with ourselves, harmony with others, harmony with God's creation. And coffee is God's creation. Land issues, God's creation. Economic issues, God's creation. Economic and ecological peace is happening because of coffee for peace. Now, I understand the integrated Mennonite Church of the Philippines is undergoing uh, some changes right now. Yes, you see, they understand Anabaptist theology. They know the doctrine of the Mennonites, and they call themselves Mennonites, and that's why they have integrated themselves as Mennonite churches of the Philippines. This time, they are appreciating how this teaching, how the Anabaptist theology can be applied effectively and meaningfully in the context of the Philippines, politically, economically, and socially. How many congregations are in this group? There are around 37 congregations. Representing about how many members? I would say around 5,000 members. Is there a vision of this integrated Mennonite group to plant more peace churches, to become more of a peace church? How would you describe, is there a new vision emerging? Yes, actually the visioning process started with reflection of our conviction as Mennonites, as Anabaptists. So we reread the Bible from the perspective of Jesus, the fulcrum from Genesis to Revelation. And that's one thing about Anabaptist uh, hermeneutics. You interpret the Bible through Jesus. That seems to be new to most of them. And so 
we reread the Bible from Genesis to Revelation from the perspective of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, from the lenses of who Jesus is. And man, we saw lots of things that are so relevant in the Philippines. Peace, justice, conflict transformation. It's like what many of the churches here are saying. Uh, Jesus is the focus of our faith. Community is the center of our faith, you know. And it's happening right now in the Philippines. And because of that, we are seeing the need to plant more peace congregations in the new uh, conceptualization of Integrated Mennonite Church Philippines. We are already talking, and I'm not talking officially. I'm. This is just like an observation. And there has been a talk among bishops and a board of trustees and many key pastors that maybe we should change our name from Integrated Mennonite Churches of the Philippines, like Churches of the Philippines, to Mennonite Church Philippines. And so this is now being processed peacefully, lovingly. Daniel, it's been great to have you here with us for these two parts of Church Matters. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you very much, Janet, and thank you, Dan. Our guest today has been Daniel Pantoja, Mennonite Church Canada ministry worker in the southern Philippines island of Mindanao. Thanks to all of our listeners in radio and podcast land. This concludes part two of our two-part episode on how the church matters in Philippines. We invite you to help keep Daniel and his wife Joji Pantoja and other people like them sharing God's good news of peace around the world. Please donate over the phone, through the mail, in person, or online. You can call us toll-free at 1-866-888-6785 or email churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. My name is Janet Plennert. And I'm Dan Dick. You've been listening to Church Matters, where our prayer is that you will be called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Tune in wherever you are. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.